0: Hey, DealMakers. Welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. And today's story is with Mandy McAllister. Well, she quit her job literally 13 weeks ago. And whenever this happens, we want to know how she did it. How did she get her first deal? How did she finance it? How is she getting deal flow now? How is she scaling her business? What's financial freedom like with her? So that's what we're going to cover today. That's what everybody wants to know is how do we do it? A reminder that we have DealMaker Bootcamp in sunny Orlando, Florida, end of January. Go to DealMakerBootCampEvent.com. It's the one time of the year where we actually simulate your first deal. We talk about the first deal a lot. Well, doing your first deal is probably better, the best thing you can do. But the second best thing you can do is actually simulate it. And that's exactly what we're doing at DealMaker Bootcamp. So check that out, DealMakerBootCampEvent.com. I want to do a shout out for iTunes reviewer Rob Phillips. He says, I'm still pretty new to this podcast, but I feel like I found gold in my backyard. Michael has an insane amount of knowledge when combined with his high caliber guests. It's fire. Thank you for that, Rob. Appreciate it. And I do want to shout out to anyone who's doing a deal right now. We want to shout them out. Uh, Daniel Gentor uh, just did his first deal, a 9 nine-unit in Menominee, Michigan, for $275,000. He was working with mentor David Kamara. Congratulations about that. We don't always have mentors who do deals, but a lot of times they do. And here's another example of that. If you are interested in mentoring, check us out at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor and check out our program. Schedule a call with us and see if it's right for you. I'm just really excited about how it uh, shortcuts and achieves your goals faster than any other method that's available to us. So check that out as well. And with that, let's bring on our co-host, Garrett Lynch. What's going on, Garrett? What's going on, Michael? So let's talk about debt right now, kind of the boring thing, but super, super important. We saw it. For example, in COVID, the, the the five, six months after COVID, the people who were doing deals were the ones who can get the right debt because COVID kind of screwed up the debt, changed everything, bridge debt went went away. And then we were able to get one or two deals, probably larger because of the debt we were able to get. The question always is, how do you go about getting the right debt?
1: Yeah. So the right debt is really based on the property business plan and the size of the deal. So. You know, the smaller deal you do, it probably makes more sense to source local debt that's recourse in the beginning. You know that that is a viable option, and that's the way that I got started. And so th- the process for that is different than going for you know large non-recourse loans. And the smaller stuff that you want to go after, you're just calling up local banks and you're figuring out what kind of terms they get you. And you know what kind of leverage they're gonna get you and just figure out which ones are gonna give you the best deal and then you just move forward with one of those. Now, if you're going for something bigger, then you probably want to create some competition by getting a broker involved if it's if it's bridge debt or if you have a really good relationship or know someone that has a good relationship with a direct lender for agency debt, you can go to them directly and have make have them make a warm intro and then just see what they're gonna work with. You know, how are they gonna Uh, source the loan for you? How are they going to service it? There's a lot of questions you want to be asking there to make sure that you're getting the best terms possible for your uh, real estate.
0: I think getting a broker is key because these brokers have access to different loan products. They have access to local bank, regional banks for small loans, for large loans. They have access to bridge loans, construction loans. So The better your broker is, the better it is now i remember losing almost losing my first deal because the lender at the last hour decided they weren't going to do the loan i don't know and i had a, not had a good relationship with a broker they brought another lender in and they were able to close in 14 days saving the deal like that was amazing to me now the common sense and intuition is to lock in long term debt because the interest rates are so low and 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 we did that in the beginning but it's not always the right debt. Talk about different kinds of not so much products, but why long-term fixed debt may not always be the right strategy for a deal.
1: Yeah, long-term fixed-rate debt. I mean, the advantage of it is that you can sit on it for ten years or however long the loan is, and and it just you know it's a fixed rate, fixed interest rate. So right now it's a great time to get in on a fixed interest rate if you're going to sit on the thing and park it for ten years. When you go and you you say, hey, I have a five-year business plan for this asset, and I want to put a 10-year loan on it that has a very large prepayment penalty, if you try to get out before the end of the 10 years, then you're putting yourself in a position where you don't have flexibility. And you're assuming maybe that someone's going to want to assume that debt later on or whatever it is. But the reality is, is if the market conditions don't change and interest rates don't go shooting up, then you're going to be Sitting with a product that's really not that attractive, which, you know, honestly, we're uh, in a position now where we wanted to sell an asset early, put fixed rate debt on there. The market caught everything, so it's fine. But we still have to pay a pretty large prepayment penalty, and we wouldn't have had to pay that normally had we just gone with the bridge debt product.
0: Yeah, so getting the debt right is very important. So make sure, just make sure it matches the business plan. That's the that's the important thing. And long-term rate, uh, int- debt may be the right or may not be right. Let's get in a show with Manny McAllister here. Uh, love her story. W two job, quit her job thirteen months ago. And, you know, was very deliberate, almost hesitant to kind of get into into it and then became very systematic. She became very clear about what her goals were, financial goals were and what the steps and the milestones were getting there. So I love her story that ended her chasing a commission as a career medical device sales uh, as a salesperson. And she's now really passionate around you know about her family and helping other women become financially free as well. She was a former Division One athlete, degree, master's degree in economics, and apparently was a stamp up comedian at one point. So, I love her story. Let's see how she did it. It's getting the show here with Mandy McAllister. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. This is the show for you. Mandy, welcome to the show today.
2: Hi, excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So, you just quit your job, what, a few weeks ago? One quarter.
2: It's I, I'm 13 weeks self employed.
0: How about that? But who's counting, right? So, okay, so what was your last day like? Was it kind of a non event or was this like this bah, moment?
2: <laughs> I gave them about six months. I gave my old job about six months uh, leeway in order to, to backfill my position. Medical device sales, it's uh, it's a pretty specified type of a role that they have to get the right fit for. But I'll tell you, the day that I announced my retirement, I had a calendar that said something that, you know, if you're if you're doing life right, it's equal parts, excitement and fear. And my God, were both of those things present.
0: Yeah, so you're always excited. What were you afraid of?
2: The unknown. I am the person, I am the girl who got all the straight A's, did the masters where she was supposed to, got the job she was supposed to, bought the big house she was supposed to, you know, all of those things that you're supposed to do and uh, choosing to live life in a different way with this path to freedom that you hear is so cool, but only the people who eat, pray, love their lives away actually can do it. But no, I'm here to tell you, it can be done by average Joes like me.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Let's rewind the clock a little bit. At what point did you start thinking about some kind of exit strategy, right? You're like sitting there going, you know what? I can't see myself doing this for the next whatever X years. What was going on at the time? And then how did you start thinking about real estate?
2: So actually I was 19 years old on a porch in college in, a, in Macon, Georgia, as a matter of fact, that a friend was telling me that her dad bought the house that we were standing on the porch of and that she rented the rooms out to our friends. And I thought, and you get to keep that money. That is the best idea I've ever heard, right? So that's when the the seed was planted to, you know, must be real estate investor. But I didn't like get really serious about it until my son was born in 2016. So the month before my son was born, I bought a fourplex to be his college fund, basically thinking I'll pay it off in 15 years, put a new loan on it, and that'll be his dollars for school. And you know what? I didn't die after I did that four unit, even though I was so friggin' scared of it. And I had a thousand dollars cash flow almost. So once I kind of realized like, this is the path I want to go down, the minute I figured out exactly how much money I'd need in order to leave my job, in that instance it took me call it 12 months to be able to to hit that number to leave
0: it's interesting this exercise is so powerful because it makes it real right people are always like oh i want to i want to quit my job i want to be financially free but what exactly does that mean not not in the you know figurative whatever metaphysical way but actually literally like financial and I've also seen people do the opposite where they're fixated on a dollar amount and their motivation is super, super weak. But in this particular case, your motivation is super strong, but having a specific figure makes it real because you can kind of work backwards from there. You already had a a quad producing $1,000 a month. You're doing some quick math. I need X amount of dollars. I need like four of these, five of these.
2: Exactly. Well, one thing I say a lot is the more truth you put to any problem, the easier it is to solve that problem. Right. So if you just put the truth to it, to how many dollars do I need? And understanding fully that there's different levels of financial freedom. Like if I can pay my mortgage from my personal residence and feed my kid, that's there's a level of freedom there. You know, really replacing my income, that's another level of freedom. Belonging to a jet membership that I one day intend to belong to, that's another level of freedom. You, if I'm only thinking about the jet, When I'm, you know, not bringing in anything, that's too big a leap. You got to, you know, next right step yourself into what it is that you're doing.
1: So I love that you talk about the different levels of financial freedom, Mandy. That's, I think that's so powerful because I don't think everybody thinks that way. I think they're like, well, I'm financially free and whatever that meaning is to them. That's what it is. So I'm just curious going into that a little bit. What does that mean for you?
2: There's a woman who's part of a group that I've I've helped form, Aspiring Women Achieving More, that kind of helped me crystallize this, that killing it means a bazillion different things. If your choice in life is that I want to own two short-term rentals and then live off the $1,500 they throw off a month, you are free by definition. Whatever your definition of killing it is, and you get more out of that out of life, you are doing it. For me personally, I know what I need to run my house and do the type of travel I wanna do and have the impact on people's lives that I wanna have. So for me, it was replacing you know, my cost of living plus a 25% buffer. I made a little calculator out of that. That It's just a math problem, guys. The more truth you put to it, the easier it is to address.
0: Yeah, so you got into this, this quad, right? And you're like, I need a few of these. The problem at one point becomes, financing, getting the money for it, not so much from the lender per se, but you know, the equity, and you have some money, and that's great. But then at one point, you run out of money. How did you in your mind reconcile, hey, this is a great way I can do another four of these five of these And you're like, ah, at one point, I'm going to run out of money. How did you kind of convince yourself that this was still a viable strategy?
2: You know, I've kind of played in the small multi-space, the four to 50 unit for the bulk of my investing time. I kind of came up with a bunch of guys who did syndications first, and I totally could have done syndications first, but I wanted that floor of my own stuff because maybe I'm, you know, too control freak, but you're right. You run out of money at some point. But if you start in the five to 20 ish space, then your commercial lending they look 95% of the deal. Five percent at you, and I was able to for the first call it three, four five acquisitions, just leverage equity and other properties in order to to take those down. Then, when I went into like the fifty unit space, I took on partners in joint venture structures.
0: It makes common sense to start small and and you know start small somewhere. Uh, And then there's the other other people who say, look, you know, you can skip the small stuff and just get right into syndication. You obviously went one way. Now, having done it, having both and looking at it in the rear mirror, you know, what do you advise people would do or should do? Should they go through and do a whole bunch of little small ones and then start getting up? Or would you maybe change a few things?
2: You know what? I think that there are a bazillion ways to skin a cat you know, and whatever feels authentic, you know, you can swing for the fences and get there, right? But for me, I'm a single mom. I wanted a floor underneath me of smaller stuff. And I was lucky to have a bunch of capital of my own to get started with. That's not for everybody. You know, if it's for you that you want to run straight at a 200 unit property, run straight at it because it's one transaction is one transaction. One word of, of caution, though, is the middle size stuff, like kind of this black hole of multifamily stuff, easy to do a four unit and smaller. And once you can borrow a million dollars or more and get that really good Fannie Freddie lending, it gets good again, the terms get good again. But there's this black hole in the middle. And you guys, I took my eyes off a six unit for like, three months. And I have a drug dealer because nobody's paying attention to it because it's too small for them and it's too small for me to be paying attention to. So understand that you really got to have your eyes on the small stuff. It is in many ways easier to go larger.
0: Yeah, it really is, and and it's. It, I mean, it's a little counterintuitive. But I had the same thing, I had a, a relatively you know small a twelve unit and one tenant. I mean, almost screwed up the entire deal. A single tenant. It was it was unbelievable. You know, if you have a 150 unit, one tenant, it's going to be a blip on the radar. We had another relatively small deal where we had some kind of gas leak somewhere, and it cost us like twenty three thousand dollars to fix it. You know, which in like a 25 unit is catastrophic. It wipes out cash flow for like six months. You know, Mm -hmm. versus in a 150 unit, it's like oh, it's just another you know rounding error. Therefore you know, these little incidents, these emergencies that happen are just much more pronounced in a smaller, smaller deals. The challenge always is, you know, people's comfort zone ends at a certain unit size. This is the problem. This is the only reason people do smaller deals. Everybody goes, Oh, Michael, I know I would do a 100,000 unit if I could, you know, but you know, your comfort zone ends somewhere around there. And so, and the only way someone can get in there is by doing the smaller deals. It's, it's a reality of things. So the question always becomes, how can you expand your mindset? Because it's really a mindset issue if you think about it, right? How can you expand your mindset past a four or five or six unit to get to those bigger ones without spending years grinding your teeth on the smaller stuff?
2: Well, I'll say that, you know, I went from kind of getting real, really serious about multifamily, that four unit to retired in five years and did play a lot in that smaller space. So I completely agree with you. You've got to work the inertia and move along and make that momentum happen in order to grow to a spot that makes sense.
1: So I got a crazy thing that happened to me where what? I only went- only one. <laughs> I could go on for a while, but this just sparked this thought. I went from having thirty four hundred apartments to having eighteen apartments that I owned a hundred percent outright, so I had syndication thirty four hundred down to eighteen and it was interesting because when I got into that eighteen unit for me, it was a whole lot harder than a lot of the bigger deals, but I started to pay attention to like the little nuances inside like Oh, if I do this to the laundry machine, like I advertise our laundry machines, they use more like I put a brick in the toilets, I save on water, like stuff like that. I started to pay attention to a lot of the little things because every single dollar was mine. So I think there is some power in that, that side of it as well, where it's like, hey, if you have your own, you know, maybe one you of your own properties on the side or or you start in that space, you'll get some of those skills where you can look at it and be like, oh, I know, I know. And then you use that for the bigger stuff. But that said, my thermostat had already been set up at a certain level, right? So I couldn't go back down to that and just stay, stay at that side. So I think there is really something to say about when you, once you start thinking into that big space and getting there, you, you have an appetite for that over and over again. Mandy, you're in what level are you kind of playing in now?
2: This past week, a group and I in a syndication just uh, closed on 104 units in Louisville. So I'm kind of agnostic when it comes to size now, frankly. I like a B-class asset that I can get really good debt on. If that's a 25 unit, awesome. If that's a 200 unit, awesome. So uh, my master's is in economics, so I can't remove that part of my brain. I'm very interested in locking in as much quality long-term debt as possible. And that's really my focus right now in this game.
0: Talk about partnering, right? Cause that's, that's how you got into the larger, larger ones. And that's really the only way you can expand your, your unit size, right? Because like I said, you can you have your money. That's great. But at one point you're going to, you're going to run out. So the only way to get into larger deals is by leveraging other people's money, whether it's a syndication where you have, you know, past investors or whether it's a partnership. So you have three or four investors. How did you discover a partnership and what did that look like early on?
2: So my first joint venture partnership was roughly a year ago. So it was right I mean, in the middle of COVID, like September-ish of 2020. Uh, We closed on a 53-unit. It was me and two other guys. So the way that we approached it was I was a little bit more active along with this other little bit more active investor. The third guy brought the bulk of the capital. It had a lot of earmarks like a syndication. The more active guys Even though all of us are active and we make sure that everybody makes decisions because we are not a syndication, we took an acquisition fee. We take an asset management fee because we're down there every other week. So what I'll say is what matters in terms of this size growth to me was that it meant way more cash flow. My eyes have always been on the cash flow, even more so than the the number of doors. But in terms of partnership, I've, I've really messed up. With partnerships as well. And now I really knowing that person that you're gonna be married to long term matters in a really, really big way. Especially because our business plan and in a joint venture, it's way easier to have a business plan that's 15 plus years when in a syndication you want to exit in three, five, seven years in that time frame. So you gotta be on the same page with that partner. You gotta know you can trust them and whatever it takes for you to have that level of trust
0: as of this recording, we have 490 reviews on iTunes. So I appreciate everyone who has given this a uh, review, but I want to get to 600 get twice as many reviews that we have as episodes we have about 300 episodes, and I'd love to get to 600. And I need your help. Okay, so we're launching a bit of a challenge here for you. Here's how it works. First, make sure you subscribe. To the podcast okay use your app subscribe so you don't miss these episodes that come out every single week and then leave us an honest review on itunes now unfortunately you have to use it through an, an apple device or you got to download the itunes app on on the pc really irritating but if you wouldn't mind i'd surely appreciate it then you text the word contest to six six eight six six and then we'll just send you a link to enter the drawing okay so when you get the link click on the link and then follow the instructions in there, you're going to enter your email and enter the drawing. And when you do that, we're going to have 10 general winners, you're going to get our best selling book on Amazon financial freedom with uh, real estate, and we just crossed 1000 reviews mark. So it's awesome. And you get one of these custom black freedom t shirts that you can't get anywhere except for this challenge and our live events. And so we're going to give away 10 of those bundles. Then we're going to have three runner-up winners. You're going to get the shirt and the freedom book. You're also going to get a ticket to our upcoming event. Dealmaker Bootcamp, January 27 to 29 in Orlando. It's super cool. It's a unique experience where you're actually going to do your first deal in one and a half days. That's right. We're simulating your first deal. So if you have not done your first deal, you have to come to Orlando. It's 2,500 bucks. Uh, you can find more about that on Dealmaker Bootcamp event.com or just go to website themichaelblank.com. But if you enter this drawing, you have three chances at winning tickets to that event. Then we're going to have two grand prize winners. So you're gonna get the shirt, the book, the ticket, and you're going to get access to our dealmaker certification, which is our online course with a 12 month experience. So that gets you a lot closer to doing your first deal. It is our it is the online course that we have with our dealmaker mastermind community for a year to get you connected and into your first deal. It's a $3,000 value. So you're going to get about $5500 worth of value in that grand prize. So again, text the word contest to 66866. And get, leave us an honest review on iTunes. We look forward to seeing it there.
1: So I like that a lot. And um, you did also mention that long-term debt was a part of your strategy. And I'm just curious, you know, why, why that is. And if you see any benefit to having the ability to have a flexible exit versus just long-term debt.
2: I think the way that I approach long-term debt is kind of the ultimate flexibility in a way, or at least for how I choose to look at it. So for instance, the 53 unit, we put a 15-year Fannie loan on it with eight years of interest only. We were cash flowing through our our noses (laughs) and it's assumable at a 3.4% rate. So, you know, with kind of my economics hat on, you cannot convince me that in nine years time that a 3.2% rate doesn't at least look attractive, right? So if I choose to sell it at that time, I could sell it with the loan and that's flexibility number one. Flexibility number two is it's a type of debt product where we can put on a supplemental loan and pull out that capital that we put in and roll it into something else. Or we can just keep it as is for the full 15 year term of the loan. So those are three big time feasible exit strategies that will work here.
0: Yeah, so I mean the the, the debt is absolutely critical whether it's long term or flexible it just has to match the business plan as well. I want to ask another question about the about partnerships because you said it's critical that you're on the same page. Now I know Garrett went through quite a traumatic experience with a partnership. You know, I have had good partnerships, not so good partnerships, not catastrophic, but definitely not every partnership is made in heaven. On the other hand, having said that, a great partnership, you know, where that 1 plus 1 is far greater than 2 are just phenomenal. What can you do early on to kind of figure that out, right? Because unless you know this person for you know, two decades, it's tough. You meet them at networking event, you have great conversations, and you're like, let's do this deal, right? And you don't really know.
2: I, I think it's so important to not have the same strength. I think that's maybe the ultimate learning I've taken on in partnership is the things that I am good at, you know, I'm going to be drawn and attracted to in friendship with people who do things like me. That is not what I need in a partner. I'm not tremendously, I I mean, I I love a big picture. I love projections. I love a big plan and to, you know, plunge into that, you know, optimism, but I need someone to poke holes. I need someone with a ton of details. So, If you haven't read Rocket Fuel, this is incredible to help you figure out, are you a visionary? Are you an integrator? And then if you're one or the other, you got to find your foil because that is how power comes to be when you find and partner with your foil.
0: How do you guys split up your responsibilities? So I think there's personality types, but there's also responsibilities. Do you guys share all the responsibilities? Do you guys uh, have certain responsibilities that that you're accountable for?
2: On acquisition, it's pretty, you know, cut and dry. But we, we do end up sharing a lot of stuff. We share we share a lot of the same responsibilities because to have two sets of eyes on things in a, a joint venture situation, it's not as divide and conquer as a syndication is because it's you know it's kind of both of our baby, you know what I mean? But there are very clear lines of delineation of uh, I look through our books and compare what our actuals were versus our projections. That's one of my roles. One of his roles is to uh, visit the property on an every other week basis, things like that, deal with the the lending.
0: Yeah, I, f- I found partnerships that work really well is where roles are very clearly delineated. So you're, one's doing this like you said, the other one's doing now. There's not really, yes, are you involved in everything? Yes. But the accountability is really very, very limited. The boundaries are very well defined. So I love that. What are you doing now to kind of ensure deal flow? Because it's always an issue. It's been an issue for five years or maybe even longer. Deal flow is always an issue. You know, what are you guys doing to ensure a consistent deal flow?
2: Well, interestingly, I, I actually, so I run a meetup out of Chicago and we end up having a ton of conversations with people who are hungry and young and interested in looking for properties. And, um, you know, there are some circumstances where we have a couple of folks looking specifically in markets for us. And they're kind of doing the first pass of underwriting for us, circling back and saying, OK, I think this one meets criteria. So that instead of looking at everything that hits our desk, because you, you got to look at everything, you got to kiss a lot of frogs, you know. So instead of looking at 200 Different properties being the one going through all the numbers. We got a couple of people who we're going to bring into that joint venture structure. Should we, you know, find something that works based off of their efforts?
1: So when you're finding, you're looking for deals. You, you run a meetup, so that helps. You're you're based in the Midwest.
2: Yep, Chicagoland.
1: That's where I grew up, actually. So that's oh. uh, yeah. But knowing Chicago and knowing pretty well, you you have to seek outside of that market. Uh, because there's not a lot of multifamily there, right? Or, or not. We started there, but we we bought a lot of D-class stuff because of just the types of product that exists in general. And so when you're searching for these deals, what is kind of like your minimum deal size that you you look in other markets for? Because, uh, and then when you do that, do you try to build around it? Or how does that work exactly with your setup?
2: Yeah. So I am actively selling everything I own in Illinois. So getting the heck out of that We are not to be trusted, in my opinion, with the way we run a state. Get me the heck out of here. So my criteria of where I'm looking is I like to be an expert in a market. I know I have a lot of friends who can be between a lot of different markets. I want to know that that rent increase works here and not across the highway. You know what I mean? So I like to know an area really, really well. So I want a Midwest strong growth market where I'm gonna be able to get there and back before dinner because I'm the mom of a five-year-old, right? So that primarily puts me in the Indianapolis market. The bulk of my transactions have been there. And I'll be honest, I love a 50-ish unit deal because anything that I can buy at one3 or more, I can get that really good long-term Fannie or Freddie non-recourse debt on, and buy with a couple of partners and sit on it for cash flow for the long term. So, you know, I see a lot of people looking in Texas and in the Southeast. Everybody is competing there. Everybody is competing in 150 plus, right? So, if I'm going to enter a beauty pageant, I'm not going to enter Miss America, where everybody is the best of the best. I'm going to enter the one where you know somebody's got a lazy eye, you know, where I have a real chance of winning what I'm looking for. So I'm going to target the stuff that not everybody's targeting.
1: How competitive is it in that space, in that that mid-range right now? And what are you doing to win deals?
2: The 50-ish unit is less competitive than 100 plus by far, but I see a lot of creeping in. Like, because it's, it's, it's not rocket science, to give up a little bit of size in order to get the types of returns that you want. But the type of investing that I do, guys, like I need one real good deal a year, maybe two. I don't need to be syndicating a deal every single month to reach my goals. That is not where I'm at in my life. So right now, I just closed up that 104 unit and I'm, I'm looking for something to get in on. So it's not happening a lot because I only need a couple a year.
0: So, yeah, I love that. This is what I love about this business. You can do as little or as much as you want, honestly. I mean, you get this financial freedom number, whatever that number was you're talking about before, and you're like, I'm done. This is great. I don't need any more. You know, meanwhile, we're talking about how do we get the 10,000 units. And I remember having a discussion with my mastermind, and one guy had like 850 units. He's making like, you know, $30,000 a month, you know, because he's had them for a little while. And he goes, you guys are all idiots. Why would you, I want 10,000 units? <laughs> you know, like and, and we're all like, "Yeah, good point. Why do we want 10,000? Why do we want all this complexity?" But this is what I love, right? I mean, you can do as much or as little as you as you want, but it, on the other hand, it, it doesn't really take a lot of time. Once you've stabilized a property, you're like, "Oh, I'm bored. I think I I'm just going to do another one." Right? Right. <laughs> it's it's not like you're you're messing up your life balance by buying more buildings.
2: That's absolutely true. But I, I will say, too, that that life balance thing, like you get a chance to do it. Like I coached high school volleyball, you know, like I, I didn't need to be on the prowl for a deal because I set up my life so that I have cash flow enough coming in to live the type of life that I want to live. Right. I don't need to be a hunter anymore like I was as a sales rep. I get to live my life by design.
0: Yeah, I love that. Talk about your consideration for actually quitting your job because I see a spectrum of, of people who literally as soon as they're like read a good book on multifamily they quit their job, right? Before the first that's amazing. They burn the boats. I wouldn't recommend it, but I have a lot of respect for it. And then there's others who hold hold on probably a year or two longer than they probably should. For you, when did you decide was the right time? Did you were you did you pull the trigger a little sooner or did you maybe wait a little longer?
2: I would say COVID was a tremendous gift for me, because I was probably at a place that I could have quit for at least a call it a year. However, I worked a job where I supported cases like in the procedure room with doctor. And what that means is you drop everything and you run when doctor says, Hey, we need support in this, right? So there's not a lot of time to focus in between cases and running around on real estate stuff. However, when elective procedures were not allowed for those first three months of COVID, my butt was in this chair in a bigger way than it ever had been before. And I did four transactions that brought in more than double what that day job brought in in those three months time. So that was proof number one to myself that I should be giving real estate more. That's a
0: good point. It's an opportunity cost, right? So if you're doing this five, six hours on the side per week, that's great. I think you can get stuff done. But also as as evidence but what you're saying, if you have the ability to focus more like 20 hours a week, it's lights out. It's a totally different experience.
2: It absolutely is. And the second piece of what COVID brought me was I made that calculator. I just did a spreadsheet of, all right, well, let's say level one of freedom is I can pay my necessities. Level two of freedom is I can pay necessities plus a little bit of fun stuff. Level three is I pay all my necessities. Level four is that I I pay all those necessities plus some level of buffer. And once I got to that plus 25%, I thought, what am I doing? I'm giving up, like it's costing me money. To chase all these doctors around, you know,
0: that's exactly right. And and I think in the beginning, when you're doing value add deals, the cash flow it can be a little skinny in the first year of, of a deal. What's powerful, if people underestimate, in my opinion, is the acquisition fees. Those acquisition fees, I don't know if you, if you paid yourself in those smaller deals, you certainly did for the last deal, you did, but man, 3% of a million dollar, $2 million deal is significant. And oftentimes it gives people a runway, several months of, of runway to say, okay, I'm just going to focus on this full time because I see the pipeline forming. So for you, was it cash flow primarily? Was it acquisition fees with a little bit of combination?
2: So, because I invested just for my own accounts and with a couple of partners with the focus on cash flow, I had a floor of cash flow that helped me meet those needs. And now that I've been a sales rep for the bulk of my career, and I know that if I'm making my number, I show up with an energy that's one of service. If I am not making my number, it's like, hey, you wanna buy my stuff? Hey, everybody, you want in on this? You wanna buy this? Right? But I now am doing syndications because I'm coming at it with this energy of I don't have to do this deal. And for me, that makes all the difference in the world.
0: So now that you've quit your job, you have options, right? So what are your thoughts? Like, what are you going to do with your financial freedom? You have any any idea yet? Or you're just kind of still just, you know, just basking in the the sunlight here?
2: The afterglow of uh, uh, retirement or uh, self-employment. I want to impact as many lives as possible. I I started a not-for-profit for kids sports. I coached volleyball. I Run a women's group called Aspiring Women Achieving More. I do want to do deals, and I want to help more people who have these golden handcuffs like I did. Especially because I think medical device sales has changed so tremendously for lots of reasons, but COVID really exacerbated a lot of that. So you know, if you are wearing golden handcuffs, there is a different way. Understand that passive investment. I can help people passively invest in deals now. Seek out cash flow in order to have a different life.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Mandy. how can people find out more about you, connect with you?
2: Yeah, so my catch-all for everything is mandymcallister.com. It's got all my handles for social media, information on my investing arm, Good Fortune Capital, and the Aspiring Women Achieving More group that I founded.
0: That is awesome. It's been great to have you on the show, Mandy. Thanks so much.
2: So good to be here. Thank you, guys.
0: All right, so Mandy followed a very deliberate path, starting small, certainly building on that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I think, my personal opinion, you can fast track much faster by partnering much sooner and by syndicating. And certainly that's kind of what we teach and encourage everybody to do. But there's nothing wrong in getting into small multi units. Though, having said that, it's very hard to keep buying quads. I mean, once you once you taste it, you're not going back to a quad. what you alluded to as well, I like the different levels of financial freedom that she mentioned. This is, I think, really impactful because it's not just financial freedom necessarily in one foul swoop, because it means different things, not only to different people, but different situations. So for example, the first level of financial freedom is covering your minimal Living expenses, in other words, those things where you could you literally quit your job if you had to, and you might have to tighten your belt a little bit. That's very meaningful right there. The second one is covering all of your current living expenses. The third one is replacing your income, and then fourth is anything higher than that, and any kind of aspiration. So I love that. So really thinking about what is that minimum level expenses that you have right now, and if you don't know what that is, sit there and and figure out what those are. A tool that that I used early on and still do is Mint.com. It, it actually attaches to your credit cards and your bank statements and allows you to categorize your expenses. And you can say, oh my gosh, what am I spending every month? Is there anything that I can maybe do without? And what is that minimal? And then what is that number? It's probably a lot lower than you think. And then shoot for that and kind of reverse engineer financial freedom. Gary, what stood out for you?
1: I really resonate with that as well because I think people don't back into the numbers enough. Think about that silly recurring gym membership that you never use that just hits your Bank account every month and think about how many you may you may actually have out there. I mean, I know I did for a while and I was like just ah it's 35 bucks, doesn't make sense for me to to cancel it. All those recurring charges add up to your total fixed amount of expenses that you have every month. And you could probably go in right now and just shave a bunch off, make a bunch of money doing that. Then you take that, that number that you have, you're like, okay, this, this is my expenses on a monthly basis. And now I just got to cover this up with cash flow. And let's back into that. Even if you're not a numbers person, you just need to know enough about numbers to be dangerous. And and that's kind of how I look at everything is I need to know enough about this, whatever this part of my business, maybe I'm not an accounting geek or whatever it is. But if I know just enough to be dangerous, that's all I need. And then I can go in and I can outsource the rest and figure out the rest. But I loved how she, she had backed into that. And then I really liked how she found partners that's offset what her strengths, her strengths, you offset uh, her weaknesses with their strengths. And I think that that's such an important part of finding partners and working with them.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And unlike a single family house investing, you don't really need partners for that. But a multifamily, you really do, right? You're just, you're not firing all cylinders if you're not doing a partnership. And it's because everybody has strengths and things that they love to do. And the the business is, opportunity is big enough where you can actually have enough revenue to cover more than one partner. And that's, I just love that, right? So if you love spreadsheets, well, shoot, you know, you might be really good at finding deals. If you don't like spreadsheets, but you, you have the gift of gab, you might be really good at raising capital. So, so play into your strength and find that compliment. She, taught, she referenced a book called Rocket Fuel where they talk about visionary and integrators, just two different ways. One is kind of setting strategy, high level thinker, not very detail oriented integrators exact opposite. The point is, whoever you are right now, there's a complement of you and how can you align yourself with partners. So one plus one is far greater than two. So I love the aspect of partnering in this business. Now, if you're listening to this, and you'd like to actually invest passively in, in our in- syndications, we'd love to have a conversation with you. Our company's called Nighthawk Equity, nighthawkequity.com. Just go there right now. Click to join the club and, uh, and schedule a call with us. We'd love to have a conversation. Garrett is always busy looking at new deals right now. So we'd love to have a conversation with you around that. And again, a reminder, check out Dealmaker Bootcamp coming up in end of January in Orlando is dealmakerbootcampevent.com. All right. Hope you guys were inspired by Mandy's story. And uh, gosh, if she can do it, you can do it as well. Catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening Take the next step toward financial freedom by downloading the free blueprint on closing your first multifamily deal. Head over to the slash
2: blueprint to get the free training.